0: Well, as Susan said earlier, it's usually the Presbyterians that are called the frozen chosen, but uh, as Baptists, we'll take up that mantle this morning because it is really cold out there. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. I'm going to do verses 1 through 26 this morning. Our text today is going to feel a little bit like a movie that you've seen before, Uh, There are actually a whole lot of similar events and aspects to this section and the section that we just covered uh, in verses, it was chapter 6, verse 30, and we did through chapter 7, verse 37. Both of the sections feature a feeding of a great multitude, a boat trip, a confrontation with the Pharisees, a conversation about bread, a miraculous healing, and a significant confession. Mark here presents us with historical events and uses them to make a point theologically. It's a little bit like watching a movie a second time, as I said earlier. You catch something new the second time through. Uh, I'll never forget watching The Sixth Sense a second time and just wondering, how did I not figure this out? It was so clear. If you haven't seen The Sixth Sense, I suggest going out and renting or streaming or red boxing or whatever it is you do, seeing it once and then watching it again and realizing how silly you feel. Someone will ruin it for you probably on the way out. Anyhow, like seeing a movie for the second time, this section will help us see more clearly the pattern of Jesus' ministry so that we might understand its purpose. You see, the disciples were slow learners like many of us. And so despite walking with Jesus and witnessing his miracles, they still do not understand him or his mission. Not fully, not completely. They fail to see clearly. Their vision is clouded. That is until they experience his touch. Likewise, we will fail to understand Jesus and his mission until we experience his touch. We will fail to see clearly Until we experience the touch of Jesus. I need to point out that the experience of Jesus' touch, the experience of the grace of God, is not a one-time deal. The Christian life takes the whole life and is marked by vibrancy. Following Jesus means growing into maturity. Discipleship is enjoying God's presence moment by moment and by grace-driven effort pursuing deeper intimacy with God. Discipleship is enjoying God's presence moment by moment, and by grace driven effort, pursuing deeper intimacy with God. Let me illustrate it for us this way. When you have children, you hope that they're healthy, and if they're healthy, they grow physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. You know, recently I gave my son his first donut. Naturally he loved it. He is my son. But the next morning, he came downstairs, and when he pointed and made his noise that he makes when he wants something, "Eh?" his mother denied him this exotic pleasure, which resulted in an epic meltdown. (laughs) Full-out temper tantrum. Now, at his age, we recognize that this is going to happen from time to time. And as good parents, Chelsea and I try to teach him that temper tantrum isn't the right response to adversity. Now, if he grows in his understanding of the world, as he should, then he will realize the value of this lesson. However, if he does not grow in his understanding and is still throwing temper tantrums at the age of 40, then he will rightly be categorized as somewhat unhealthy and maybe even a little bit crazy. In the same way, when you become a Christian, you become a child of God. You're a baby Christian. If you're a healthy baby... In the appropriate amount of time, you'll grow up into a healthy toddler, a healthy preteen, a healthy teen, if there is such a thing, and eventually a mature adult. However, if you're unhealthy, you will lack understanding and continue to throw temper tantrums well into adulthood. The point is this. And it's our one big thing this morning, our one main idea that you can think about throughout the week as you meditate on this text. Healthy sonship, healthy daughtership, healthy discipleship requires grace-driven growth in our understanding of Jesus. Healthy discipleship requires grace-driven growth in our understanding of Jesus. We're going to work through the text in four sections this morning. We're going to take a look at Jesus' power, Jesus' wisdom, Jesus' person, and Jesus' purpose. Jesus' power, Jesus' wisdom, Jesus' person, and Jesus' purpose. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the eternal fountain of blessing. And that you bid us to come and drink of your mercies. Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life. We ask that you might feed us with your word this morning, that you might give us more grace and grant us more understanding that we might grow into maturity. Father, fan and to flame our passions for you. Amen. So look with me at verse one of chapter eight. In those days when, he again, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called the disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Three days is a long time without food, y'all. Verse three. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from afar. Jesus, again, has been teaching a large crowd. It's not quite as big as the one we encountered in chapter six, but it's still a pretty big crowd. It's a large group of people around 4,000-ish. And he's been teaching the crowd and he knows their needs. Here his compassion seems limitless. Notice that his concern goes all the way down to a personal level. Yes, he's concerned for the crowd at large, but he is concerned for individuals within the crowd. He's not going to let anybody that comes to him go away spiritually or physically hungry. He will feed them. Verse 4. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? As outsiders looking in, we we might think something along the lines of, Really? He just fed 5,000 plus people not so long ago. Don't you remember? Have you forgotten so quickly? And it is quite possible that the disciples were forgetful. It's possible that they ask, How will we feed these people? Because they still don't understand who Jesus is. Christian life is a process, after all. I mean, we get it, right? We 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 also quickly forget the word and works of God. We too ask how because we forget who Jesus is. And we remember what we have seen God do in the past, and that should help us to trust Him in the present. We should carry His words in our hearts. And that should help us to face all circumstances, because Jesus is our strength and our treasure. But unfortunately, despite God's faithful track record, we often decide that he can't handle what we're going through in our present, and so we try to solve our current circumstances and situations ourselves. I wonder this morning, what challenge are you currently trying to face alone? Are you asking God how instead of trusting who He is? Don't forget His mighty works. Don't forget the gospel. Now, while it is possible that the disciples have forgotten the previous feeding of the multitude, I think it's more likely that they remember it. But here, they're not presuming upon the grace of God, they're not assuming that Jesus will perform a miracle. See, the disciples have been traveling with Jesus a long while. They've been with him many days. They've been with him many days and nights where he didn't really do anything miraculous. I mean, they've seen him get hungry. They've seen him get thirsty. They've watched him clip his toenails. They've listened to him snore. They've spent many mundane moments just walking with him. And so they know Jesus isn't just a street performer. He's not just going to conjure up a miracle at every turn. So they don't assume that they're entitled to another heavenly feast. They don't don't assume that they're entitled to a display of his glory. There's a lesson for us. We ought not presume upon the grace or the miracles of God. Jesus is not obligated to meet our demands. He's not required to give us signs. He's not required to feed us. That is to say every gift of God, every blessing, comes out of his kindness every gift is ultimately a gift don't foolishly think that god owes you because you listen to christian music or come to church and you don't swear god owes no one father knows what we need most and sometimes it happens to be a feast and things we would call really really good But other times what we need most is a famine, because that's what will cause us to grow. So whether feast or famine, God gives us what we would ask for if we knew everything that he knows. He's good, and he doesn't owe us miracles. The disciples may be forgetful, or they may be frazzled or unassuming, Whatever decision you make about this text, I obviously couldn't make up my mind. Maybe they forgot or maybe they just weren't assuming. Either way, they're asking the question, how? And Jesus responds with a second feeding of the multitudes, aimed at revealing who he is. Verse 5. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them. And gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over. Seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Damanutha, big D as we call it. Jesus gives an encore performance and feeds 4,000 people this time. 4,000. I think the crowd here is a little bit interesting again because they've been with him for three days, not just uh, an evening. It's made up mostly of Gentiles. You know, considering the previous feeding was made up mostly of Jews, the geography tells us this information. Now even though Jews typically consider Gentiles as enemies, or unclean, or beneath them, Jesus shows by way of his ministry, remember the Syrophoenician woman last week, that these dogs can become children. They have a place at the table, and that he considers them friends. Jesus is bringing the same saving bread to the Gentiles that he brought earlier to the Jews. He's feeding these 4,000 as he did the 5 plus thousand. There's a lesson here for the people of God in every age. That our enemies are neither forsaken by God nor beyond the compassion of Jesus. On the contrary, the Gentiles, like others in our lives that we might think are a long distance away, or are objects of Jesus' compassion. So those that we think are beyond saving, they're not beyond saving. Those in our culture that we look around at and think might be our enemies, they're they're not beyond the grace of God. They're not beyond the compassion of Jesus. He has crumbs that will satisfy them too. He welcomes them to the table of salvation. Who in your life have you thought of as an enemy and beyond the compassion of Jesus? Will you pray for them? Will you pray for the lost? Understand that Jesus' power is limitless and he can save anyone. This miracle too is a beautiful foreshadowing of the gathering together of those from every tongue, tribe, and nation under heaven. It's anticipating that great heavenly feeding of all God's people in heaven. The question of this verse... How can one feed these people with the bread here? There's no bread. It's a desolate place. How can we feed these people? It's answered not with logistical prognostication, but with the who of their how. And the who is able to do all things well. Only Jesus can satisfy the people. And he can satisfy anyone that comes to him. The Pharisees, though, are not satisfied. And they want answers. And so we look in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply, deeply in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. The Pharisees here, they're not looking to have an academic debate. They're not searching for objective evidence about Jesus' person. They're looking for a way to to gain control over him or discredit him. It's an attempted interrogation. Think of some of the procedurals on TV you've seen. Think like CSI or Bones, Law and Order, Castle. There are a bunch of them out there. In all these shows, the police often interrogate suspects with the hopes of getting the suspect to incriminate themselves by confessing to a crime. Likewise here, the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to slip up in some way and incriminate his ministry. They're looking for a way to put him on trial and lock him up. want to discredit him. Scratch that. They're, They're looking for a way to put him on trial, convict him, and give him the death penalty. They're seeking to put him to the death. And eventually they will succeed, but, but not at this point. Right now, Jesus does not even entertain their arguments and their questions. He knows the evil within them. He knows the hardness of their hearts. He knows they will not believe even if someone should rise from the dead. He sighs at their unbelief. They have eyes that refuse to see and ears that refuse to hear. In effect, he's saying, you want a sign? Read the scriptures. Listen to my words. See what I do. If you can't see God at work in my life and in my ministry, then no evidence will convince you otherwise. This demand is just an expression of unbelief. And I will not meet it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Do you ever demand of God? Do you ever try to test God like the Pharisees do here? You ever made a deal with God? If you really exist, just give me a sign. I'll go to church every Sunday. Or, God, if you really love me, just get me out of this situation. I'll never doubt you again. Testing God in this way is unwise. It reveals unbelief. Instead of testing God, test your own heart and ask for grace. The Pharisees think that they are owed a sign. They demand it. They think they're entitled to the miraculous. We ought never to presume upon a sign. The need for an authentication of Jesus' identity by the way of the miraculous is symptomatic not of Jesus' followers, but of his opponents. Those that are following Jesus don't demand a sign. They simply repent and believe the gospel. See, healthy sons and daughters trust their heavenly father. Their DNA has been changed by their union with Christ so that they can see clearly and understand the mystery of the gospel. True disciples test their hearts and ask for grace cry to Jesus, help my unbelief. Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, that's the disciples, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, Jesus cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. See, leaven is, is yeast. yeast. I guess yeast is leaven. Yeast is leaven that ferments. It causes dough to rise. Leaven or, or yeast is, is crucial to making bread. I've seen it firsthand recently uh, as Chelsea has taken up uh, grinding her own wheat and, and making her own bread. And the first couple of times she tried it, she accidentally used what I think was just old or expired yeast. Maybe it wasn't yeast at all. I don't know. And uh, we had really flat, really ugly, not so great tasting bread. Not really a problem to me. But to her, the aesthetic presentation of a food is just as important as its tastes. She wants it to look good before she eats it. So we quickly got good yeast, and now her bread is its more pleasing to the eye and more tasty. Getting a little off track. At, at any rate, yeast causes the whole loaf to rise. And it just takes like a tiny little bit of it, and it works its way throughout all the rest of the loaf. A little yeast affects the whole. Jesus is, is warning his disciples here of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees. And so what is the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees? It's a little metaphor going on here. The yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees, I think, is best described as unbelief. So, Because he says, the, the, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. What do they have in common? Herod doesn't believe and the Pharisees don't believe. See, unbelief is like yeast. A little bit of it will affect the whole heart of the whole person. It will harden your heart like quick creed. Unbelief is like a disease that spreads throughout the body and eventually kills it. A failure to believe in and understand Jesus is actually a failure to get treatment for this disease. We need to heed Jesus' warning here. If we allow the seeds of unbelief to take root in our hearts, they will soon grow up into vines that choke out our faith. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That's Jesus' point here. Beware of unbelief. Beware of the hardening of your heart. Believe. The disciples miss Jesus' point here, though. And in verse 16, they begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. What we have here is a little bit of a Mary-Martha situation. They don't get it. Instead, they're worried about all the wrong stuff. The disciples are concerned with temporal things rather than eternal things. They're focused on the physical rather than the spiritual. And I think here they mirror us a little bit. We get so stuck in our own world and our own cares... We become blind and deaf to God. The disciples are anxious about the lack of bread. They only have one loaf. But Jesus is anxious about their lack of faith. They're focused on the wrong things. What cares or concerns grip your heart? What cares or concerns do you have that are driving a wedge between you and the Lord? What's holding your attention? What momentary affliction is stealing away your heart and your thoughts from the Lord? Jesus knows they misunderstood him, and so we get this uh, assault of questions from Jesus starting in verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, "Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread?" Um, Jesus, the thing is, we uh do you not yet perceive or understand? Uh no. Are your hearts hardened? It, it looks that way, Lord. Having eyes, do you not see and having ears, do you not hear? We we neither see nor hear. Do you not remember Apparently we've forgotten. When I broke the five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Seven. Do you not understand? Um, show us again, Lord. Our faith is small. But you are great. Failure to understand Jesus, failure to grow in our understanding of Jesus will lead to immaturity and or a hardness of heart. Jesus' plea here is for understanding. And it's a reminder that faith is not separate from understanding, but possible only through understanding. This passage is actually a really great apology for a proper understanding of Christian education. If intellectual and spiritual blindness lead to a hardness of heart, blind faith without content, faith without substance to it, inevitably leads to a hardened heart just the same. The faith for which Jesus appeals is a faith born of understanding and of insight, a faith that's born of an experience of his grace. The disciples here are chastised not for unbelief, but for not growing properly. They're chastised for not understanding. They're chastised for not seeing clearly. Again, I think we can relate. Sometimes we just don't get it. We just don't understand. I always think of a Will Smith song in the early 90s. It was called Parents Just Don't Understand. Most of you probably haven't heard it. But uh, sometimes it's people just don't understand. Sometimes we just don't understand. We have to learn the same lesson over and over again before we finally get it. I've said it many times, but repetition is, after all, the mother of learning. I mean, think of that math concept in school that took you a while to figure out. Some of you can remember the teacher standing next to your desk, hands on her hips, looking down, somewhat exasperated, She's explained it to you in every way she knows how, but you just haven't got it. Seems to be Jesus' posture here. He's explained who he is to the disciples over and over again, and they just just don't get it. Or maybe think about learning a new card game. I remember trying to pick up Euchre and uh, being told something along the lines of, make sure you know where the high and low bar are and what trump cards are in the kitty. I didn't get it. Didn't make a ton of sense at first, but eventually I understood. Made lots of sense. Likewise, the more we do something, the more we study it, typically the better we understand it. And so Jesus is going over his theological times tables, if you will, with the disciples. Once more, having the hope that their light bulb will finally come on, that they're finally going to get it. What is God currently teaching you? Are you thinking about and doing it so that you might better understand it? What is he trying to teach you that you're just not getting? Now come to the last section and uh, Mark is going to give us a visual parable that though it's historically true, it it happened in history, in time and in space, it's also going to symbolize for us the spiritual pilgrimage of the disciples. You see, Jesus is going to take two steps to heal this guy. And he's doing it intentionally. It's meant to portray to us the gradual step-by-step understanding and growth of the disciples. Hopefully you see that a little bit more clearly as we uh, tackle it together. Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him, and he asked, "Do you see anything?" And he looked up and said, "I see people, but they look like trees walking around." Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, "Do not enter the village." Again we see Jesus' compassion on display. He takes the man by the hand and leads him out of the village. He wants to ensure that he's not going to be a spectacle or the center of unwanted attention. He heals the man. Mark sets the story of the disciples' spiritual blindness and the story of this man at Bethsaida and his blindness next to each other to give us a clue that the lingering blindness of the disciples may also be relieved. It might also be healed, as is the blindness of the man here. Healed by the continued touch of Jesus. See, the two stories are all about seeing and understanding. Seeing and/or understanding are referred to 15 times. 15 references to blindness, eyes, sight, and understanding. Mark firmly links these stories together with Jesus' question in verse 23. "Do you see anything? This unusual question, is like an echo of Jesus' pleading questions to the disciples in the previous story. Do you not understand? first of which, the first question he asked him is, do you still not see? That's in verse 17. Verse 23 and verse 17 are linked together. Do you see anything? Do you still not see? The blind man's response that he can see people who look like trees walking around is a clue to us that the disciples themselves will be enabled by Jesus to begin the process of moving from blindness to sight. They're going to be given a deeper understanding. This miracle was done in two stages as a sign, especially to the disciples. Through this miracle, Jesus is now leading them by the hand to the point at which their sight will become clearer rather than clouded. Notice their spiritual understanding did not come, does not come, instantaneously, but gradually. They too need the continued touch of Jesus to see clearly. And in the next few verses, we see that the disciples begin to understand. First, with Peter's confession. Look down at verse 29. Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. See, he, he, he gets it in part. That's right. But it's not the whole picture. We won't be given the whole picture until the centurion, after he pulls the spear from Jesus' side, says, truly, this was the Son of God. He's the Messiah, and he's God in the flesh. They're seeing in part. The disciples see clearly, but in part. They see blurly. I mean to say. They see that he's the Messiah, but they do not yet recognize him as God. They have a better understanding of Jesus person, but their vision is still blurred. They won't understand the fullness of his person or the purpose of his mission as revealed in their response to what Jesus said, what Jesus says in verse 31, right? They only have a partial picture. Look at what verse 30, what happens in verse 31. Peter says, "Hey, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus says, hey, that's great. And in verse 31, he begins to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He tells them that he must die and rise in order for his kingdom to flourish. But the disciples have other ideas. They have other expectations. And so just a few verses later in 32b, we read, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. They don't yet understand that he is God. The disciples won't see everything clearly until after the resurrection. Spiritual understanding does not come instantaneously, but gradually. We, like the disciples, need to experience the continued touch of Jesus. Spiritual growth is a process, none of us ever arrives. The experience of Jesus' touch, the experience of the grace of God, is not a one time deal. The Christian life takes the whole life and is marked by vibrancy, by growth. Following Jesus means growing into maturity. Discipleship is enjoying God's presence moment by moment and by grace-driven effort pursuing deeper intimacy with God. The process begins with seeing Jesus clearly. The process continues, or I'm sorry, it also begins with understanding the gospel. The process continues with seeing Jesus more clearly. The process continues with a deeper understanding of the gospel, which is simply, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It grows, though, from there. Our faith becomes deeper than that. We move into a better understanding of the truth that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died and that he resurrected to prove himself victorious over death, able to save any man, woman, or child, any one that would come to him. We learn more deeply that no one is beyond his saving. No one is beyond his limitless compassion. The gospel is a clear vision. Shallow enough for a child to play in, deep enough to drown an elephant it's the ABCs and the A2Z of the Christian faith. We never get over the gospel. We just plunge deeper into it. We grow in Christ likeness. We go from throwing temper tantrums over donuts to rejoicing in our trials and in our sufferings because we know that God is good. We go from demanding miracles to enjoying the miracles in the mundane. Simply walking with Jesus, reading His Word, praying, enjoying community. Don't presume upon the gospel. Don't forget the gospel. Test your hearts. Ask for grace. Heed Jesus' warning against the leaven of unbelief. See clearly. See clearly, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, killed for your sin. Raised on a cross for your wrongdoing. And also raised from the dead so that you might have life. Friends, I urge you, grow in your passion for Jesus. If you don't know him, I suggest you find him. Those that seek Him, find Him. Those that draw near to Him are drawn near to by Him. Those that ask for wisdom and understanding are granted it. Healthy sonship, healthy daughtership, healthy discipleship requires grace-driven growth in our understanding of Jesus. And so I ask you this morning, are you growing? How are you going about doing that? Are you experiencing the continued touch of the grace of Jesus? Do you see clearly?